So is turning on my microphone. Sin is fun. It's probably not how you expected tonight to start. But let's face it, and let's just own the reality that there's a reason why we battle sin. There's a reason why we fight sin. There's a reason why none of us are walking around here thinking, well, I'm good. I don't sin anymore. And the reason is, is because when it boils down to it, there's something about sin that's attractive to us. So in Proverbs chapter one, when Solomon, like Pastor Kellen preached a couple weeks ago, exhorts his son, hey, you know what? Don't go after the sinners. Don't do what they're doing. Don't lie in wait for bloodshed with them. Don't try to get your two cents out of things. Don't try to get your pound of flesh when you've been wronged. Instead, he says, you know what? Heed the call of wisdom. Hold fast to what is good and what is right and what is true. There's a measure to which we need to say, why? Right? You've, a lot of you have grown up in the church and you've been hearing all about the things that you should stay away from from the time that you were little. Even those of you in the room who might be brand new to the church have probably associated church with things that you are not supposed to do. And those things are oftentimes the things that are, are fun and that feel good and that look good and that are appealing. In fact, John says that that's what the world is all about. John says, do not love the world in 1 John 2 or the things in the world for the love of the world or consists of this, the, the boast of the, the flesh, right? The, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. I butchered that a little bit, but... It's the things that look good, the things that our flesh craves, and then the things that fuel our pride. That's what sin is all about, right? And so when we're looking at the instructions of wisdom, which says, leave off sin, put that behind you. Don't go in the paths of sinners, but instead follow the path of wisdom. We have to ask ourselves, why? And Solomon answers that question for us tonight in Proverbs chapter 2 by providing some motivation for us, for you and me, to follow God's wisdom, to grow in the fear of the Lord. So that's what we're looking at tonight in Proverbs chapter 2. If you haven't turned there yet in your Bibles or on your devices, whatever you've got with you, let me just encourage you, go ahead and open them up to Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to cover the whole chapter together tonight as we walk through the text. Before he gets to the the meat of the motivation, the rewards, he first reminds us of what the expectation is, which is important for us. What are the requirements? If, if I'm going to enjoy the rewards, what do I need to put in on the front end? If you've ever gone into a, an interview and you've been hired and you show up for your first day of work, that's one of the first things that hopefully a good boss is going to talk to you about. Here's what I expect of you. This is the job description. This is what you need to do. If you want the reward of the paycheck at the end of the two weeks, at the end of the week, or whenever you get paid, this is what's expected of you. And that's what we find in the opening verses of Proverbs chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Solomon says this. He says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, let's stop right there. There's the expectations. That is, if I can put it this way, the Christian job description. You want to know what you should be doing, students? It's right here. Seeking the wisdom of God, mining for it as one would mine for treasure. He describes it. He breaks it down. Let's look at it. First, he says, if you receive my words... 
the implication here is that it's available. The wisdom of God that produces the fear of the Lord that is so good for us is accessible to us. And that's what Solomon is implying to his son. You can learn, you can hear, you can understand if you will receive them, if you're open to them, if you will submit yourself to my teaching. And yes, he's talking about his teaching in the the teaching of Proverbs, but we can expand that to the teaching of the scriptures as a whole. Some verses to consider, Proverbs chapter 1, which we covered last time we were together, verses 20 through 23. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of city gates, she speaks. Just right there, right? What is Solomon saying? He's saying that wisdom is not hidden. Wisdom is, is, is setting up her camp and calling out to you in the public square, in the public forum. You want the wisdom of the Lord? It's not hidden from you. Y'all are sitting here with a device that can contain the Bible in less than a gigabyte of information, and that's phenomenal, that you can get God's word in less than a gig on your phone, that you can have the wisdom of God, all of the wisdom of God that he has given to us in, as, as far as special revelation is concerned can sit in an app on your phone. Are you availing yourself to it? It's there. It's not hidden. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Hear, he says, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you might gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Again, it's available. Proverbs 4, 7. Similar, he says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. It's not as though it's, it's not possible for us to gain the wisdom that produces the fear of the Lord. That is what we're talking about in this series. So as we go through these expectations, the first thing that we realize is hey, it's, it's there. It's available. It's ready. You're holding it in your hand. You're holding it on your laps. You have the wisdom of God contained in special revelation. Will you receive the words, as he says there? But then the second thing he says, as far as the expectations there, is, is treasure up my commandments within you. If you receive my words and you treasure up my commandments within you, just think about the metaphor there. The things that you prize, the, the possessions that you have, what do you do? You, you keep them close. You protect them. You secure them. You always know where they are. You don't ever lose track of them or forget about them. They're always on your mind, on your heart, right? You're thinking about those. That's what we need to do with the word of God. And we treasure it up because it is valuable. Psalm 139 verse 17 describes the value of God's word. Sorry, verse 72. Psalm 139 verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Can you say that tonight, students? The law of God, the word of God is better than a million dollars. Can you say that tonight? If somebody walked up to you on the street tonight and said, I will write you a check for a million dollars, but I want your Bible and you can never have your Bible or your, any Bible ever again. Would you do it? Two million, 20, what would your price be to do that? To treasure up the commandments of God is to say, I, I don't have a price. It's not happening. That theme is repeated over and over. Psalm 119 verse 72 is the one we just covered. Psalm 19 verse 10 is another one that talks about the, the Bible as being compared to and, and more valuable than gold itself. Treasure up the commandments within you. What does that look like? How do you do that practically with the word of God? Memorization, internalization. Are you memorizing scripture? Students, do you have a plan to memorize scripture? 
If you don't, can I suggest to you the Bible Memory app from the App Store? Go download it tonight. Start using it. Start applying that. Start internalizing God's word. That's how you treasure up the commandments of God. You demonstrate that it is valuable and is worthy to you. God expects that of us. Third thing is making your ear, he says, attentive to wisdom. If you will receive my words, if you will treasure them up within you, if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom, in part you're already doing that because you're here tonight. You're choosing to be here tonight of your own volition, your own will. And you're sitting in here and you're listening to the word of God being preached. That is listening, making your ear attentive to wisdom. And, and not just here, but I would say more importantly, you should be here on Saturday night or Sunday morning with our main services, listening to the, the preached word of God with your church family, making your ear attentive to wisdom. And then beyond that, there's the, the, the daily Bible reading process of just making your eyes read the word of God and hearing it as you you study the word on your own on a daily basis. We're, we're going to come back to that time and time again tonight. But students, let me remind you of what James says in James 1 verse 22. He says, we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so to make your ear attentive to wisdom is not simply to hear it. It's not simply to be here and check a box by saying, hey, I was at the bridge and I listened to a sermon. It's not just to be at the weekend service and say, hey, I listened to Pastor Mike preach. But it's to hear it and then to apply it to do it, to live it out. That's how you make your ear attentive to wisdom. Finally, he says of the expectations, inclining your heart to understanding. Inclining your heart to understanding. The word incline, it means to bend it towards. Are you bending your heart towards understanding, godly wisdom? Why do I have to do that? I have to do that because it's not my natural inclination. My natural inclination is not to wake up in the morning and to desire the wisdom of God. In my flesh, I don't want that. Because God's word with God's spirit gets in my kitchen and begins to show me how much I need to grow to be more like Jesus. And so it's way easier for me to wake up in the morning and not incline my heart to the understanding of the Lord. And so that's something that we need to do. These are the expectations that God has for us if we're going to enjoy the motivation, the benefits, the rewards which are coming. But what I want you to notice first is what I was just talking about a moment ago. This does not happen without effort. Some of y'all are, are in this cyclical pattern of struggling with a particular sin or where you come back to the church for a little while and then you drift and then you come back and then you drift and you come back and you drift. And all the while you're going, why Why won't God just make me love him more? Why won't God just draw me near to him? I, I pray and, and I'm, I'm tired of the sin. Why won't God just remove this thing from me? And the answer is, is because that's not how it works. There is no magic formula. You, you can't develop a more intimate relationship with God just through osmosis. You have to pursue it. You have to take onus in this relationship and you have to take responsibility for yourself and your relationship with the Lord and you have to lean into that and you have to, to do the work. You have to commit to the process, which is our first point tonight. Commit to the process of growing in godliness. Commit to that process because it will be worth it as we're gonna see in just a moment with the reward, with the payoff. But if we're gonna enjoy the reward and the payoff, we need to commit to the process. We need to commit to doing what he's laying out here in chapter two, verses one through four, those steps that I was just talking about. Every single day, we need to be on a search party for the wisdom of God. You guys ever lost your keys, lost your wallet? 
you know that panic that grips you and all of a sudden you think like the most nefarious criminal on the face of the planet has found your wallet and they're racking up charges like crazy and you're going to have to pay thousands of dollars or you lose your keys and you're like, somebody's going to find my house. They're going to go to try every house in the neighborhood and they're going to find my house and they're going to break in, right? Or you, you think, oh man, I, my air tag, I, my battery's dead. I'm, this is the worst thing ever. And you're just turning over everything in the house, trying to find your keys, trying to find your wallet. Y'all, that's how we need to be with the wisdom of God. Every single day. We need to feel that desperation. To say, man, I, God, I want, I want to grow. I want to know more. Help me. I need this, right? You think, man, I need my keys because I need to get in my car and be able to go about my day. Man, you need God's word to be able to go about your day. You need God's word to be able to grow in godliness, to grow in the fear of the Lord, to grow in wisdom. You've got to have it. If you don't have it, you're powerless. Do you have that desperation? to be in his word daily. And here's the good news, y'all. Unless you just lose your Bible all the time, the search is not far. It's not a hard one. You've got it. For some of y'all, you pick up the phone in the morning, the first thing that you do is you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok, you're on whatever you're on. How about you pick up the phone in the morning, the first thing that you do is you open up the Bible and you get into the wisdom of the word of God because you need it more than all that other stuff. Way more than all that other stuff. Proverbs 2, 3. Yes, if you call out for insight, call out for it. Raise your voice for understanding, that desperation. I remember when I was growing up, there was a, a little girl, tragically, that was kidnapped in my hometown. And I remember, for whatever reason, my parents had a mental lapse as far as what is good parenting, and they decided to take me out on the search party looking for her. But I'll never forget walking through these open fields in these wood, wooded areas calling out her name. Amber, 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 Amber. Searching, hoping that she'll respond. That's what we're supposed to do with the wisdom of God. But the good news is the wisdom of God responds. But that desperation, we need it, we want it, where is it? If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Man, if, if you knew that there was a pile of gold hidden under the parking lot in 145, you guys would have a, a jackhammer and you'd be going at the parking lot. It doesn't matter if you didn't know exactly where it was, you'd, be, you'd wreck the whole place looking for it. We need to be that way with the word of God. But again, the search doesn't have to go far because it's right here. Seek it, search it, desire it. If you were with us during our, our first week, a few weeks ago, when we were studying the beginning of Proverbs chapter one, I referenced Job 28. And in Job 28, Job is talking about where can we find the wisdom of God? And he's commending the, the prowess of mankind that they've been able to mine the earth for ore and precious metals and treasures and everything else. And he says, and yet they haven't been able to find God's word. But y'all, that desperation, that effort, that drive to discover it, to find it, that needs to be our pursuit of the wisdom of God. Are you pursuing it? Have you committed to the process? Let me ask you this question. If someone told you at 7 a.m. every weekday there would be a person outside the movie theater over in the town center handing out $100 to everyone who showed up, my guess is you'd make a point to be there every single weekday. If Elon just decided, I'm bored, I'm going to do this, 
my guess is you would set your alarm because at the end of a week, you'd be $500 richer. At the end of two weeks, you'd have $1,000. At the end of a month, you'd have $2,000 in your pocket for free by just showing up at 7 a.m. Some of you guys won't show up at 7 a.m. for the word of God. And it's more impactful, more valuable, more important to you than that is. But here's the deal. You've got to believe that. You have to believe that. And some of you say you do, but your habits and routines when it comes to the study of God's word betray something different. There are these expectations. We have to commit to the process. Uh, again, the value of the word of God. Psalm 119, 72, I read it earlier. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 119, 127. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, even fine gold. Psalm 19:10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And what should it produce in us? Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Do you pant after God and the wisdom of God? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Y'all, here's the thing. The wealth of the Bible is readily available to you if you will seek for it. It's there for you if you will search it out. The issue is not that there's something lacking in the word of God, but perhaps that there's something lacking in you. And so students, let me ask you tonight, are you receiving the word? Are you treasuring the commandments within you? Internalizing it, memorizing it. Are you inclining your heart with purpose and intentionality and concerted effort every day to the understanding of God, to the fear of God, to the wisdom of God? Are you calling out for insight? Are you raising your voice for understanding? Are you seeking for it like silver? Are you searching for it as for hidden treasures? Is that your relationship to God's word? If not, let me implore you, that's where it needs to be. Whether it's a perspective change for some of you, for some of you it may be a heart change because you may be listening to this message as somebody who's not saved, who's not a Christian. And so it's not possible for you to have this kind of a desire for God's word. My prayer is tonight, you will encounter Jesus as your Savior, and that will transform your heart. For others of you, you've been so numbed to the worth of Scripture by all the distractions in the world that you just need that perspective change to say, wait a minute, I'm dealing with the Word of God revealed from heaven, to, uh, given to us in a way that we can understand it and read it. Why would I not want to value that? Why would I not want to treasure that? Why would I not want to seek it like treasure? These are the expectations. This is the process of growing in godliness that you and I must commit to. But he goes on and he provides the benefit to us. What I've been talking about already is, is difficult, yes? But we do difficult things. Why do we do hard things? We do hard things for the reward, for the payoff, right? You go to the gym 
You get on the treadmill, you lift the weights for what? For the payoff. So that next time you flex in the mirror, you, you don't feel as bad as you did last time, right? Or so that you can fit in the, the pair of pants again, whatever it is. You do it, you work hard for the payoff. You study for the exam and, and you, you give up hanging out with people and you stay up late and you do the flashcards and everything else. Why? Because you want, you want to pass the class. You work for long hours and sometimes you give up being able to go and hang out with your friends at night because you've got to go work a long shift that night. Why do you do that? You do that even though it's hard because the payoff is worth it. It's, it's the paycheck at the end of the month, at the end of the week, at the end of the two weeks. We do hard things because of the payoff. Well, like those things, if we will do the hard work of mining the word of God, and it's hard, why? Because our flesh is always going to work against us in that, and so will this world. But if we will do the hard work, if we will commit to the process, there's also a reward that's better than any reward on earth. It's listed, there's four of them that are in our text. Verse five, because remember, look at, back at, at chapter two, my son, if, okay? So this is a conditional statement that he's making, and it's the whole chapter here. He says, if you do these things, now he's going to give us the, the results, the reward. Then, verse 5, you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's helpful. I want to understand the fear of the Lord. Okay. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice. And he goes on, and equity. Okay, well, I, yeah, I, I want to understand those things too. Verse 16, so, not then, but so, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. I want to be delivered from the forbidden woman. The adulteress, as he's going to go on and talk about. And then in verse 20, you will walk in the way of the good. And, and so there's four rewards, and, and we're going to unpack them, two for point two and two for point three. And so the first two there that we're going to unpack have to do with uh, the concept of us being better equipped to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Okay. Those are, are necessary for us as believers if we want to please the Lord and enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. In fact, verse 9 is kind of an unpacking of verse chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 9 explains the fear of the Lord. It's righteousness, it's justice, it's equity, it's, it's every good path. And so there's a payoff if we will do the things in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, all the things we were just talking about in point number 1. And part of the payoff is we will understand what it is to fear the Lord, and to fear the Lord is a good thing. In fact, if you run a quick search for the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, you'll come up with things like this. Job 28, 28 says this, and he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Okay, so there we see that one of the benefits of, of cultivating the fear of the Lord is that we will grow in wisdom, that we will possess wisdom. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. There's an interesting principle that makes us as non-health, wealth, and prosperity gospel theologians a little bit uncomfortable as we read the book of Proverbs, and that is that time and time and time again, the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, says that, man, if, if we will give ourselves over to the wisdom of God and the fear of the Lord, it will prolong your life. And as a general principle, not 100% fast and true, but as a general principle, that is true that there is safety in the fear of the Lord, temporarily even here. Proverbs 14, 26 says, the fear of the Lord, one, in the fear of the Lord, rather, one has strong confidence. If you want to have confidence about your standing with God, if you want to have confidence about your eternity, if you want to have confidence in these things, and the fear of the Lord produces that confidence. 
He goes on, he says in Proverbs 15, 16, he says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than much with great trouble. So man, even if you're Job, but you have the fear of the Lord, he says that's better than being super wealthy and having a lot of trouble because you don't have the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to, again, here it is, life, leads to life. And whoever has it, notice this, rests satisfied. Uh, Man, how much are we wasting so much of our life chasing down satisfaction from the world that you'll never have? But in the fear of the Lord, we can rest satisfied, not be visited by harm. Proverbs 22, one more, verse 4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Those are good things. I would imagine, I would guess that you desire those things. Life, security, satisfaction, rest, honor, riches. Yeah, those, those are, uh, sure. The key is the fear of the Lord. How do we get the fear of the Lord? Well, we covered that already. Verses one through four. You commit to the process of growing in godliness. That's going to produce in you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is going to produce these blessings in your life. There are benefits. There are rewards. The fear of the Lord is knowing and coming to know and understand the fear. Or the, 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 the result is to know and understand the fear of the Lord in, in knowledge. And that's a reward that we can have. These are, are things that we should desire. It's the prize for us. Which is our second point. Read the word with the eyes on the prize. Read the word in the way that we talked about in point number one, committing to the process of growing in godliness with your eyes on the prize, the prize being these benefits that we get as a result of our time in the word, that the fear of the Lord increases in our life. Look down at verses six through eight. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's why, because if you study the word, if you go to the word, if you go to the scriptures, the word of God, God gives wisdom. And he gives knowledge and he gives understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. These are more benefits for you. He's going to make you a wise person. He's a shield to you. How about the God of the universe being your shield? You want that? He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. He guards the paths of justice and watches over the way of his saints. What a, what, a, what a blessing and benefit that is. At, at Compass, when you, you preach in the main pulpit for Pastor Mike, you get the, the, the gatekeepers, the, the, the guys that, that keep us safe around campus. And, and there's one that's assigned to you with every service. And he follows you around. And, and the first time, it's the most uncomfortable thing in the world on the face of the planet because you're like, dude, I'm good. You, you can go. Nobody, I preach at the bridge all the time. I make people mad there all the time. And nobody has, has hurt me yet. Um, but that's their job. They're there to what? They're there to guard you and to watch over you. And I know when Matt Clay's on the job, where's Tim at and Emily? I know when Matt Clay's on the job, I'm, I'm safe. He's, he's got my back, right? But even more so with, with God. He's watching over the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. You've got God watching over your path and over your way. You want that? It's a benefit and reward of the process of growing in godliness in verses one through four. You can't find these things anywhere else in such abundance as the scriptures. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, read many good books, but live in the Bible. 
read many good books, but live in the Bible. Some of you guys are like, here's my favorite Christian author, my favorite devotional book, and I love this person, I love this, I follow this person on Twitter, and Ali Dastucky, and she's amazing, and this, that, and the other thing, and if there was going to be a female president, it should be her, and this, that, and y'all live in the Bible. Put your influencers away. Unfollow them. Not that there's anything sinful with them. But if they're your greatest influence in your life, you've got a problem. It should be God's word is where you should be gaining the most wisdom from. Verses 9 through 15, again, unpacks it further. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. You guys want to understand those things? For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. You want to be delivered from the way of evil? From men of perverted speech who forsake paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. The the word of God protects you. Y'all, if you will commit to the process of growing in godliness, the reward is this prize that God will protect you protect you. And, and, and let's understand that protection correctly because one of the governing under, ideas here is that doesn't necessarily mean that your life is going to work out the way that you want it to work out. That doesn't necessarily mean that these evil, wicked, perverse men aren't going to be able to hurt you physically, okay, temporarily, but they're not going to be able to touch you eternally. That's why Jesus said, don't fear man who can kill the body, but can't do anything to you eternally. But what did he say next? He said, but fear God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So what I'm saying is this. This is not a a promise that your life is going to look exactly the way that you want it to look if you will commit to the process of growing in godliness. But this is a promise that you've got God watching over your ways, and you've got the God of creation saying, I've got you. And even if that means I call you home sooner than you want to be home, I guarantee you it's going to be worth it because you're going to come to be with me because I've got you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember when they were standing before Nebuchadnezzar? And they said, oh, king, look, our God is able to deliver us from this furnace. But what what do they say after that? He will deliver us from your hands. If they had died in the furnace, did God fail? If they had died in the furnace, is Proverbs chapter 2 not right? No. God would have delivered them. It just would have looked different. And we wouldn't have had veggie tales. <laughs> at all. Maybe that would have been better. The other prize, though, that, that's being described here and what, what we're driving at here is your sanctification. It's not just your well-being. It's not just that you're going to grow in wisdom. It's not just going to be that you're going to have a prolonged life. It's not just going to be able to be that you're going to enjoy these, these, these riches and honor and, and things like that that he's talked about. But it's also that you're going to be more like Jesus. That's going to have a sanctifying if, effect on your life. You know, there's such great reward in choosing the wisdom of God over the folly of this world. Your time in the word of God is not divine busy work. You guys have all had those teachers in class, right? That they're like, I, I could not want to be here less right now. So why don't you read this chapter in this book? Is there going to be a quiz on this? No, just read the chapter. That's not what the Bible is. It's not divine busy work. There is payoff here. If you will commit to the process with your eyes on the prize. 
Again, those first two motivations pertain to our being equipped to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. But the final two motivations that we're going to look at have to do with our living a life that blesses the Lord in response. And it's building on this idea of our sanctification. Look down at verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Verse 20. So you will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of the righteous. You will live a life that is pleasing to the Lord is what he's talking about here. That is a reward. That is a benefit to us that comes from our committing to the process of growing in godliness described in the first four verses. The book of Proverbs speaks a lot in this opening, these opening nine chapters about the forbidden woman, the adulteress, sexual immorality. In fact, all of chapter five, chapter six, verses 20 through 35, and all of chapter seven, they all have to do with the same thing, avoiding fleeing sexual immorality. But he introduces it here, and he says, look, if you will commit yourself to the word of God and to receiving these words and treasuring them up in your heart and, and, and being diligent to study God's word as we've been talking about, hey, it's going to protect you, verse 16. You're going to be delivered from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth words. And verse 20 is connected because it says you're going to walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of the righteous. Because what we'll find as we study chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 is that the adulteress is personified as sexual immorality is personified, and he talks about drifting onto her paths and what happens on her paths. In fact, even in our chapter, it says that her house leads to death. I don't want to go there. I don't want to drift onto that path. Later in Proverbs, Solomon's going to tell his son, keep your way far from her. Don't even go by her house on the way home. He's talking about keeping to the good paths. Verse 20 says that that is a, a, a benefit, a reward for us, a motivator for us to study God's word, to commit to the process of growing in godliness. You will walk in the way of the good and keep to the path of the righteous. I'm not sure if y'all realize this yet, but this is a, a world that's not too much of a friendly place for us as Christians. Pride Month. We live in a hyper-sexualized world and culture. We live in a world and in a culture that has perverted God's good gift of sex to no end. And this was a foothold during Solomon's time, and it's a foothold during our time. And so much so that in this chapter about why it's worth investing in the word of God, Solomon zeroes in specifically on this sin and says, watch out. And the benefit from giving yourself over to the word of God is that you're going to be delivered from sexual immorality. Our final point tonight is this, be motivated to stay secure, to stay on the good path. And not to drift. Think about Solomon's dad, David. David drifted, didn't he? He went up on the rooftop. He looked over. He's like, oh, hey, look at that. There's a lady taking a bath on a roof. And rather than fleeing, which is what he should have done, he lingered. He lusted. He gave in to that lust. That temptation conceived and gave birth to death, right? David and Bathsheba. How about Solomon? Did Solomon struggle with sexual immorality? You guys know how many wives and concubines Solomon had? A thousand? You guys understand that that was not condoned by God, yes? That God wasn't standing there going, way to go, Solomon. Neato, let's go for a thousand and one. 
No, that was not a good thing. In fact, Solomon's wives are what turned his heart from the Lord down the, down the stretch. And it's, it's a danger to us today. Can I just tell you guys as a dad, I hate how overly sexualized our culture is. I loathe it with my entire being. I understand it would have far-reaching consequences, and I'm probably short-sighted in this, but can I just tell you, as a dad, if I could push a button tonight that would destroy the internet and social media forever, I would do it. I would do it. Because in so many ways, it has become nothing more than a cesspool of sexual immorality. And it is a danger that we must strive and seek to avoid and to escape. Have you ever flown and, and listened to the instructions that the flight attendant gives before the plane takes off? Probably not, huh? Because you probably put on your headphones and it's like, I was thinking about that. I felt bad for the one that was doing that on the last flight I was on because I had my, my headphones on and the noise canceling was totally turned on. But I was like looking around the plane and, and so many people had their headphones on too. I'm like, she's got to do this. And she did it, and she went through the whole thing. But I used to fly back before noise-canceling headphones, um, believe it or not. I know, shocking. I used to fly before iPods and iPads and everything else where you, you didn't have, I could bring my Sony Walkman on the plane, the CD, and then if you hit turbulence, then your song was ruined because it just skipped the whole time. Um, but I listened then because I, especially the first time you fly, you're like, I'm going to die. This plane's going to go down because it's the first time I've ever flown, and I just, this is what happens. So one of the things they talk about is they talk about the lights on the aisleway. You remember that? Some of you are like, no, I didn't even know there were lights on the aisleway. But they talk about the lights on the aisle of the plane, and they say in case of an emergency, the lights will turn on and they will illuminate your way to the what? The emergency exits. They will come on so that you know how to get out, and they will guide you. Y'all, that's the wisdom of God for us when it comes to sexual immorality. You want to be able to escape? You want to be able to get out? You want to be able to flee? God's word is the guiding lights for us, pointing the way to the escape. And Solomon's telling us that these lights are, are the, the, the wisdom of God that keeps us from this adulterous woman. Let's, let's look at the description of her, starting in verse 16. She has smooth words. I, what did I open with tonight? Sex, or, sex is fun. Well, yes, but sin, <laughs> sin is also fun, right? And sometimes those two things are related. Sin is fun. Sexual immorality is appealing because of this. It's smooth words. It looks good. He goes on. He says of her, she forsakes the companion of her youth. What is that talking about? That's talking about marriage. She has no respect for God's design for marriage. She despises God's design for where sex should take place. He goes on. Her house sinks down to death. None who go to her, verse 19, come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Do you, do you feel the weightiness of those statements? That the path of the adulteress goes down to death, that none who go to her come back to the paths of life. That sexual immorality, once it gets its hold on you, can hold you so fast that you are ensnared, that you are trapped, and that you are doomed. I lived in Arizona for a while, and there's this animal here called the Gila monster. It's not an appealing name, nor is it an appealing animal. 
But the human monster is basically, it's, it's this overgrown lizard that has teeth that are about a quarter of an inch long. And if you're unfortunate enough to be bitten by one of these animals, it will not let you go. Their jaws latch down, and what they begin to do is they begin to release only to grab on tighter and further, and they pull their prey further and further and further into their mouth. And you cannot break free from the grip of the Gila monster. One man was bitten by one and described the pain being excruciating, but also described the fact that every time it would re-grip, its teeth would sink down to the bone of its hand. And you think, man, that would be awful. Some of you are there with sexual immorality. Some of you are there with the adulteress in Proverbs chapter 2. And you don't realize it. How grave of a threat this is to your well-being, to your eternal standing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor any of them, what, will inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Revelation 21.8, after the depiction of the, the new heavens and the new earth, he says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In other words, they're left out of the new heavens and the new earth. See, I want to let you know, students, that this is a danger that has grave implications for your eternity. But there's hope in the midst of a world that is so overly sexualized. That's why he says in verse 20, look, if you will commit to the process of growing in godliness, verses one through four, you will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of righteousness. You will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of righteousness. Students, if you are out there and you are struggling with sexual sin, can I tell you, your first stop is the word of God. Yes, it's prayer, it's confession, it's repentance. But if you want to say, man, I, where do I start to get freedom from this? It's by beginning to, to do the things with God's word that we were talking about in point number one. Reading it, cherishing it, studying it, internalizing it. Because that's how you keep to the paths of, the, of righteousness. It's the, the walkway illuminated on the plane to get you to the exit. The word of God is so important to us. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says this, and such were some of you. You were the sexually immoral people. You were all the, you were ensnared. Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And you know how he goes about washing us and cleansing us? You know the agent that he uses in that, that the spirit uses? Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 and 26. 
Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So now we're talking about Jesus. So yes, this is a passage about marriage, but let's talk about Jesus because that's who's in view. Jesus gave himself up for the church, for you and I, in order that, verse 26, he might sanctify us. That means to make us holy, make us cleansed from our sin. Having, he says, cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the, you know what it is? It's the word, with the word. How does God, through Christ, by the Spirit, make us more godly, more like Jesus? Through the word. The word washes us as we take it in, and the Spirit goes to work on our lives. It's the scriptures that do that for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. You guys know it if you've been around the church for any amount of time. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be what? Be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do I renew my mind? What do I do with that? Where do I go? You go to the word of God. The word of God renews your mind. Colossians chapter 3. You remember he's on this this bent on saying, hey, you know what? Put off all these things over here that aren't good. And then put on all of these things over here. Put on love, and, and the, and, and, which binds all things together in perfect peace and unity. And you say, okay, Paul, how do I do that? Colossians 3, 16 through 17, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you see, there's the hope for us. Man, this sounds, Pastor PJ, like a, a sermon that's all about read my Bible more. It is. It is, and I'm not sorry about that. If you want to go complain to people and be like, Pastor PJ just tells me to read my Bible more all the time, go for it. Because y'all, that's the wisdom. That's where it's found. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Solomon's talking about in Proverbs chapter one, two, also chapter one, but also chapter two. That's where we're at. There's a book with a funny name called How to Eat Your Bible by a guy named Nate Pickowitz, which is also a funny name. So it works. But he wrote a book called How to Meet Your, not How to Meet Your Bible, How to Eat Your Bible. And in it, he talks about how God's word changes us, the ways that it changes us. And, and the first thing is it, it regenerates us, right? The word of God, the gospel, is the message which regenerates us, meaning it saves us. It causes us to be born again, to become a new creation in Christ. So it does that. But it goes on, he says, it, it, also, if we give ourselves over to the word and studying it and reading it, it will change your mind. And, and so now it's going to begin to impact your knowledge in the area of, of, of the way that you think about things, your intellect. But then he goes on, he says, it's going to not stop there because it's going to go and it's going to start to change also your heart. It's going to change your affections, your desires. And then he says, finally, it's going to change your will. That is your volition. It's going to change what you want to do, which is in turn going to change what you do. God's word does all of this by the spirit activating it within our lives. It will transform you. It will free you from the sin that you've been battling and struggling with. It will release you from that. It will make you more like Jesus. And y'all, this is so needed again because in our natural state, our minds, our emotions, our wills, are bent not on the exaltation of Jesus, but on the exaltation of self. And so we need the word of God daily to help us think rightly and live rightly. And so some of you need to say, okay, tonight's the stake in the ground. 
and I'm committing to the process of growing in godliness because I'm going to change my routine. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change my patterns by getting in the word of God daily. Remember the $100 at the town center outside the movie theater. I'm going to value God's word. I'm going to commit to the process of growing in godliness today. I'm going to bring somebody else into that. I'm going to bring a small group leader into that process, that decision with me. I'm going to bring a friend into that decision with me and ask them to help me and to hold me accountable and to pray with me. I'm going to plan for that. I'm going to do that. For some of you, that's where you're at. You're going, I haven't been doing this well. I need to do it well. I want to do it well. I'm going to start doing it well. For others of you in this room, you've listened to the sermon and gone, okay, I, I agree with you, and I've experienced this, and I'm, I'm there with you, and amen, and yes, and let me just tell you, keep going. Keep going. Don't put it down. Don't put the Bible down. Don't walk away from it and think that you're good. Keep it close. Right? You may remember a great meal that you've had, but none of you are going to try to live for the next week on one solitary meal. No matter how good it was that you had it, you're not going to try to live for multiple days, let alone a month or more, just on one meal. You can't do that physically. You, know, you can't do that spiritually either. You need a daily intake of God's word. Committing to the process of growing in godliness eyes on the prize, motivated to stay secure. I want you to, though, just recognize one last warning in admonition and motivation there at the end of the chapter. He says this in verses 21 through 22. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. You say, land, what in the world are we talking about here? Well, let me point you to, to where this hits home for you and I. As you think about, and I referenced Revelation 21 earlier, that there's a new earth coming. And that's a place that the Bible describes as a place of no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease, no more tears, no, no more any of that, no more sin. And you think, man, I want to be there. He's telling us the key to that is committing to this process that we've been talking about. And the flip side is, if, if you don't, then you should have no expectation that that will be your future. Sin is fun, but the payoff is temporary, it's momentary, and the consequences are eternal. Seeking the wisdom of God, committing to the process of growing in godliness, it, it can be hard sometimes. Not always, but it can be hard sometimes. But that difficulty, y'all, is momentary. But the payoff is eternal. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have access to it. We thank you that we can pick it up and we can read it any time, Lord, that it is available to us as it's never been available to any other people before, so readily accessible that we hold it in our hands, that we carry it around in a bag that God, we can listen to it in our cars, on podcasts, through apps. It's amazing how readily available your word is. And yet what that tells me, God, is we're going to be held to such a higher standard as far as what we've done with it. Lord, it's a better pursuit to pursue godliness through your word than to pursue anything else that this world could offer us. Because everything else is simply temporal. 
But the, the payoff, the reward, what we are cultivating when we invest in your word is something that's eternal, that's going to have payoffs that are, are part of the new heavens and the new earth when we are before Jesus face to face. God, that passage that talks about us being cleansed, being washed by water with the word, by our Savior. God, I, I, I ask that you would clean us more separate us more, make us more distinct and help us to stand out more from the, the broken, the fallen, the, the perverse world around us, the, the system that is of the enemy, the, the system that thrives on the lust of the eyes and the lust for the, of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. God, distinguish your people, your church more and more and more as you take your word and you apply it to our lives and like the divine artisan, you pick up the, the, the hammer and the chisel and you go to work and you remove the pieces from our lives that, that don't need to be there as you cause us to be conformed and carved more and more into the image of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we're so thankful that we have a, a book to pick up and to read, to learn about you and what the process looks like. Give us great fruit from spending time in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the message that we just heard by standing and singing at this final song together.
of our hearts this upcoming week. You guys are dismissed to small groups. That was amazing, guys. She seemed like such a perfect 10 Asked me when I was gonna take her home to Cleveland She was just your type Dark hair and with the green brown eyes Real smart and she cleaned up nice They asked me why Said if you really need a reason Well I'm looking for a girl that's 